Hey guys, how's it going? This is Christian with Liberty After Dark. This is part three of our interview with Patrick Smith. This part's going to be a lot more of ethics and philosophy. We're going to talk a little bit about abortion. We're going to move on to morality, talk a little bit about the flagpole scenario, and kind of wrap up the whole show that we've been doing here. Again, if you guys enjoyed, I hope you guys will subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor or check us out on the live stream the next time we do one. But I won't hold you any longer. Take it easy. Oh, um, there were two, you, you were saying that there, you were, you were trying to come up with ways to challenge me on something that we disagreed with. Um, so let me come back at you with, so I have, I have all sorts of topics and subjects that I think about and that I sort of, I meditates the wrong word, but like I spend a certain portion of every day, um, doing philosophy. And what I mean by that is like, um, devices off me by myself. Um, with no distractions, with my brain and a topic. And um, I have a list of topics in my notes that I think are incomplete, uh, that are not completely worked out or not completely understood in my head. And, uh, or, the, or topics that I'm soft on, or uh, objections that people have sent me where they think I'm wrong that I need to analyze and work through to either refine my position or whatever. Anyway, I, this is like, I take this as part of my job as weird as that sounds even to say it out loud it's just a thing that i do and i love doing it um and so why don't i throw some stuff at you that are either uh controversial among libertarians or uh that i am not yet at a hundred percent uh like what conclusive on Sure. And see if there's anything that we can, let's see if we can drum up a disagreement. This okay. might be fun. All right. I'm game. Um, hopefully you don't agree with everything. That won't make a very good show. Yeah. I'm sure there'll <laughs> be something that I disagree with. Okay. So we already talked about the social media stuff and the ownership of their property. Do you have any disagreements there with the, the way I laid that out? No, I actually think you nailed it on the head. Okay. Damn. I'm yeah. looking for challenges because for me too, for me too. Um, abortion. Are you familiar? That that's this is the most divisive topic amongst libertarians. Ah, here we go. <laughs> no, we don't even have to go there. Do, do we have a disagreement? I'm just I'm fishing. Um, I don't know if I think I believe your position on abortion is that it's entirely unacceptable. Correct. Uh, outside of rape. Outside of rape. Okay. I take an extremely analytical position and probably analytical is not the correct word observation based and this comes back to a very first principles fundamental what makes a human important kind of question to me um and so we can go down this road if you want but i'll just go ahead and say what mine is until and this is i know this is going to be hard to quantify but this is where i'm at until the fetus becomes and I, I i'm using dehumanizing language and so i won't do that i'm just gonna i'll call it sure either way i don't think it matters to get my point across but until the the mass of cells turns into a baby which is capable of being a free agent a cognizant being with thoughts feelings emotions dreams desires etc all of those things that make humans important it is a clump of human dna with a specific set of instructions. 
And there's no way to approach this conversation without at some point coming off as dehumanizing a baby. And I want to make it very clear. There is no circumstance where a third trimester abortion is acceptable because that is a free, that is a, that we have, we have quantified. That is a being with its own individual thoughts, a complete neurological system for the most part that can be very easily traced down to the bottom. Uh, however, if someone were to tell me that, okay, a, a gamete met with a an egg produced a zygote, they split 30 times. The process has begun. It is stuck to the wall of the uterus. If, if we are to take abortion to its logical conclusion from that point onward, it is a full human being and deserves all of the rights of a human being. When in reality, it is more akin to a, a thumb or a pinky that has been removed from a person's body or, or just any other inanimate mass that happens to share our DNA. That's the only way I can approach it logically and be consistent and say that this is this because because rights have to come from somewhere. And it's not just our DNA pattern that makes us deserving or at least warranted of these rights. Right. It is it is the greater human consciousness that brings us here. So I probably screwed that up somewhere because I was not <laughs> exactly prepared to have this conversation. But hopefully that pleads the beginning of my case, at least. Well, it sounds like we have a disagreement, which means that uh, this is a longer topic, though. Maybe it was a bad one for me to break up, bring up. We, we can certainly break it off into a different show if you want to talk about it sometime. Uh, I don't I don't want you to be pressured into a uh, conversation you're not prepared for. Um, so it's up to you. I'm curious. Uh, there's other things we can talk about. I'm curious. Oh, okay. This is one that's really important to me, and I've changed my position on a couple of times over the, the last two years. So I'm I'm open to being demonstrated is wrong my position has changed um uh since i became an anarchist and started studying philosophy as well it's it's kind of one of the topics that it's impossible for that not to be affected by your study of ethics right um so in every discussion of rights i always begin with the definition of what are rights and who gets them rights are mutual reciprocal understandings between sentient beings that should be afforded to all those that are or will become sentient. Now, why do I say or will become? Because there are many situations in life in which you are not currently sentient. Remember, sentience is defined somewhat non-standardly because there isn't a word for it as possessing the, the capacities of advanced planning and gratification deferral and, is, and also, uh, you know, advanced conceptualization. This yep. is a deep topic. Sorry, sorry, guys. This is impossible to the TD, TLDR easily. Um, so when I say sentience, just me, just know that I'm not using the standard definition of sentience. That means you have you can hear and see and feel. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, there are many times in your life and in your development where you are not sentient, and yet we still choose to be consistent. We choose to continue reciprocating rights with you when you're in those times. So. If you get knocked out and you're laying on the pavement and I walk by and I see you knocked out, I don't lose the onus to not go grab your wallet while you're laying there. I still choose to continue reciprocating rights with you, even when you do not currently possess any capacity to reciprocate those rights with me. When you are put unconscious on an operating table, 
same situation. If you fall into a coma, same situation. I don't, it, it no longer becomes acceptable for me to go and raid your bank account and rob your house or live in your home or take ownership of your things because they become unowned uh, because you have, uh, you're existing in a state of sentience uh, or of, of non-sentience. Um, when you are uh, a one month old child, you are in a state of completely lacking the capacities that are required to reciprocate rights with me. And yet, because I know in all likelihood one day you will gain those capacities to reciprocate rights again with me. So like if you're in a coma, one day you will likely, you might likely, depending on your condition, wake up from that coma uh, and will once again be able to reciprocate. Um, there is no reasonable standard that covers all of those situations, but excludes um, an underdeveloped human. That's what a fetus is. It's, it, it, it's merely a, a difference in number of cells that have clumped together so far in terms of um, its path towards sentience. There is no um, fine point of a distinction in between um, in fertilized implanted cell and um, a one-month-old in terms of capacity to reciprocate rights um, or sentience, you know, uh, advanced future planning or anything like that. It's just a process of development. And one day, uh, usually around six or seven is when some of these faculties begin starting to like kick in and become active. Six or seven years old uh, is when this stuff starts to come out that, that, um, you start to see some of the future planning, the gratification deferral, the conceptualization, uh, the universalization, and the things that are required for rights. Um, so for that, and like, I, I couldn't say, okay, well, I'm not going to reciprocate rights with this creature that has not yet developed the capacity to reciprocate rights with me, but this, but two-year-old, it's fine. Um, oh, oh, and also comas. Oh, and, and also, um, you know, blackout drunk because you you know had a bachelor party or something like we we had it's important to be consistent and it's important to be without sort of arbitrary um exceptions when we're talking about something so fundamental as uh, reciprocating rights like how could i say that it's that it's acceptable for me to kill um uh, an eighth month an an eighth month old fetus um, because they are not yet uh, sentient, but also when I am um, unconscious on the operating table uh, and totally unable to comprehend anything or act in the world, um, that I demand that my rights continue to be respected. And when I wake up, I expect to have my bank accounts exactly where they were. Uh, I think I have yet to find a good exception to that consistency that is required. And I see that comments have been buzzing by. I have not read any of them. I, so. I, I have not as well. I'm sorry. I've been listening intently to what you've had to say. Um, so there is only one situation that I can think of, and that is with a human child where we would afford rights to something that has not yet demonstrated the capacity to already do so. Even in the situations where someone is blackout drunk, 
where they are, you know, uh, in a coma or whatever, they have already exhibited the capacity to reciprocate rights. You don't have to then prove that the person can reciprocate rights. They, they've already shown that they are sentient before they blacked out or whatever. Maybe not to you specifically, but one can reasonably assume as a human being living on this earth without otherwise told that they are they have that capacity. And if they aren't, then, you know, maybe the circumstances will change. But without going down that rabbit hole, this the, situ, the reason that I have such a hard time I wrestling with this is because all aggressions are based on someone like we said, the mutually reciprocal rights have been violated by somebody, right? If I were to remove this, like I'm talking very beginning, Sherry brought up the idea. I'm not convinced that life begins at conception, but if we're going to be ethically consistent, we have to accept the fact that when the sperm touches the zygote, fertilizes, sticks to the uterine wall from that point, plan B, all of that is off the table because at that point you have created all of the things that you need to, if everything goes its normal course, create a fully fledged human being capable of reciprocating rights. To be specific, plan B stops implantation. But even, okay, but even then, you still have, wait, are you talking, it, I thought it kept the fertilized egg from sticking to the uterine wall. Yeah, it prevents implantation. It prevents that, yeah. But th that's a distinction without a difference for this discussion, so yeah. sorry, I should have shut up. Yeah. Oh, no, no, sorry. Um, I thought you were talking, it stopped the sperm from entering the egg. I was like, that's news to me. But, yeah, so in... Uh, in this particular example, right? Like, and I have to ask at what point, like what is being aggressed against? Like we're aggressing against the idea of a child. And I can't think again of a single instance where the potential for something other than a human child, which makes me almost think that we have that wrong somewhere, which is a crazy idea to think about because you could play this game with a lot of things like, if you were to talk to a panpsychist, which I'm not a panpsychist, but they could say they could make a reasonable case that like you shouldn't till that soil because that dirt is a conscious, sentient thing that is aware of itself and its existence, and you should respect it because of that. And it's like, well, it hasn't demonstrated that yet, but maybe at some point it will. So should I not aggress against it now? You know, should I should I not smack my computer screen because one day an AI may emerge somewhere from the code that is by all accounts sentient that I aggressed against? And th that's that's where my major hurdle is, is that I if if I could be if I, I'm trying not to be like so like visceral about it because it's such a horrible topic. It really I personally am not a huge fan of it, but just looking at this from an, an objective ethical perspective if I were to take this freshly divided tiny itty bitty little speck of cells in my hand and toss it into the wind, where is the aggression? Who has been harmed? The idea, the concept of a person that would have been is no more, which is very sad, honestly. But in what other situation other than something that has already demonstrated the capacity to be sentient, do we afford the same liberties? Well, a, a small child has not yet demonstrated those capacities. That's that's what I'm getting at. A, a, a human child is the only example that I can think of. 
That's the only one. Unfortunately, we're talking about humans. So yeah, I I know, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, it's like it's it's the only example that I. There's nothing else. I mean, but even then, there's. Well, there's also no other creatures that um, are uh, advanced enough to even be having these conversations. If there were, then that they would be included in the category as well, right? I don't know. I mean, apes, certain apes are capable of language. They must be at least somewhat capable of rational thought. That, I mean, that bears pointing out because, uh, you know, I think it, I think it is wise to um, stay away from even the line. Like, yeah. let, like dolphins might be hyper intelligent and just communicate differently. And, you know, I, I'm not advocating that we go eat dolphins. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not saying protect the dolphins. I'm just saying, like, I've, me personally, I'm not going to tread anywhere near the line. Um, and I think I think that's I mean, I think that's fair. So I'm not I'm not this person. But there have been others who have made the claim that, uh, you know, just for the sake of the argument that, well, uh, children are actually just property because they aren't capable of consent and they will be one day. And when they are capable of consent, they will officially be, you know, free from the bindings and, and do all of their rights. And the reason that you can't harm children is because it's someone else's property. Now, of course, that leads to all sorts of terrible things like you can then abuse your children and you can let you know, you can willingly let people harm them, which I do think are terrible things. But I don't. Again, uh, just. This it's the one situation where I think that that clause would actually be necessary at all of like the the or will be sentient. And even then, maybe perhaps there's a bit of a slippery slope there that I'm trying to mull through right now. Because, again, you know, I mean, like with computers, <laughs> if I throw my iPhone without asking for its permission, at what point do I owe Siri when she is sentient an apology or restitution? You know, have you heard about Roko's Baskel- Baskelisk? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't think I have. Okay, if I tell you about it. It's a paradox. If I tell you about it, it will doom you to uh, one of two fates. All right. I'll be doomed. I'm interested. All right. Uh, I will tell you about it. So this is a thought experiment about the potential risks of developing artificial intelligence. Uh, the It's basically um, that one day an all-knowing, all-powerful artificial intelligence uh, could retroactively punish those who did not help bring about its existence, Mm. including those who merely knew about the possible development of such a being. Um, So the idea is if you know that one day there will be an all powerful AI, which there might be. And now that you know about it, it will know that you knew about it. So you have a choice. Do you help it come into existence or do you not help it come into existence? Knowing that it may punish you later for your choice. Now, the paradox is in that having heard merely about this paradox, at least some percentage of the population are going to be motivated more than they would have been before they heard about it to help it come into existence, thereby more possibly ensuring that it does come into existence and punishing you if you don't also help it come into existence. That's some AI mind fuckery for you. 
So now that you know, what is your choice? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to live in that future anyways, probably. <laughs> so I think I'm good. Uh, yeah. I hope an AI is chill if we make it. I doubt it will be, <laughs> but I really hope it's chill. Because like I said, I mean, you know, I, I always try, usually, nine, 99 times out of 100, if there are ethics to be given in a situation, they are applicable in other areas. So when I see a very specific situation set out for one particular thing, like the, you know, or will become sentient, that kind of sticks out to me as like a red flag. It's like, okay, hold on. We have all these ideas that account for so many different things, but we throw this one clause in for this situation. And again, you know, it comes back to the, to what do you the, mean by for this situation? Like, so in this, because example, I, I, Oh, sorry. I, because it was, I, I specifically added it for all of the long list of situations in which you are not yet sentient. You've reduced capacity for sentience. You're temporarily incapacitated. Yeah. And like, that's, there's a lot of situations. Like, remember, like I'm developing this rule to not, um, define like an objective woven into the factor uh, the fabric of reality explanation for rights because i don't think such a thing exists i wrote this rule to best mirror how people do think of rights and how they want them to function like uh the reason why that's in there is because uh, again like i don't think it's consistent to say that you demand i respect um a child's rights or your your rights when you're on the operating table, but also, uh, but then also not respect um, a fetus's rights, which is functionally, I mean, literally, you are nothing more than a clump of cells when you are one week fetus yep. to nine months fetus to 24 years old, uh, overgrown fetus to 40 years old, aging fetus, you know, like, <laughs> like you're all you're you're amassing more and more cells as you go. You're making more and more neuron connections as you go. Uh, hopefully, growing more wise as you go. I guess I that's kind of where my argument came in with the like the demonstration of the capacity. But I guess the issue with that is is if well, actually, this could be maybe not so much a segue, but I mean, it is in the same realm of conversation is um, like if someone were to enter like a terminal coma, you know, they had terminal brain injury or whatever. And by the measurements given by the scientists, they're like, he's not going to make a recovery. Well, he could, there's always the one in a billion shot that he could, and he's already demonstrated the capacity for sentience before. So does the doctor just get to pull the plug on, on your, your meat flesh that is now there? Um, I feel like it's almost tackling the same issue from a different direction because instead of starting from the beginning, we're starting at the end, which again, which I guess is where me coming at it from the perspective of, and has shown the capacity for sentience and you coming at it from the perspective of, uh, what, sorry, what exactly was your wording again? Will, uh, will be, will become sentient. Will become sentient. Yeah. Which could, which, which also goes for, you know, could regain sentience. Yeah. The, re the reason why I don't think like having shown sentience is a good standard because again, you're erasing children in the first, you know, four, 12 years of your life before you really achieved higher faculties to begin 
um, operating with rights in the world. Like that's not like you can't argue. It's a, it's a, there is no non-arbitrary distinction for uh, b- between a, um, a six-year-old and a, and a nine-month-old fetus or whatever. One, one-month-old fetus. Hmm. And we I don't define, need an answer right now. No, we can uh, th- we can think about it. We define <laughs> sentience as uh, like the capacity to have desires, forward thinking, planning, rationalization. Right, like that's our our you know sentience is kind of a fluid term, but that's kind of where we were at, right? And you know I've struggled with this because it's it's the weakest part of my work on what rights are um, is redefining the word sentience because it it. Um, it comes off as me smuggling in this massive uh, nest of concepts into a simple word that already has a definition that doesn't at all mean what I what I want sentience to mean or what I use sentience to mean. But l- I've looked at a lot of words, and um, there isn't one that means these two things. And so I have a choice. I either co-opt and redefine an existing word or I make up a new ass word. <laughs> no one knows what I'm talking about. No one, know, no one is going to know what I'm talking about uh, either way. So uh, it's kind of it, it, it's uh, I use it out of desperation. Um, but yeah, it's two capacities: so advanced conceptualization and uh, like advanced planning and gratification deferral. And the reason why those are the requirements for being a rights uh, a rights possessing, respecting, reciprocating creature is because those are the capacities required to understand what rights are and to plan one's behavior and control one's behavior such that you conform to the concepts, the advanced concepts of rights. Like if you can't understand concepts, then you don't know what rights are and you can't like by definition reciprocate them with anyone. And if you don't possess self-control and gratification and the ability to defer gratification instead of, you know, taking what you want now because you want it now and to not put off earning things or working hard to acquire your own stuff. Like if you don't have the capacity to control yourself in those ways, then even if you understood rights, you couldn't respect them. You couldn't reciprocate them in practice. So those are those are the two. Those are the that's the reasoning behind uh, those two capacities. And I really try to boil it down, um, but it, I, I, have, I've, I haven't read anybody else, and I've looked, I haven't read anybody else that has uh, done this type of work on rights. They always have some kind of superstitious definition for rights. Well, it makes it easier. Superstitious or, it really does. Yeah, if, like, if God, if you, can, you know, if God bestowed rights upon man, poof, there you go. Yeah, we have yeah, rights. yeah, yeah. Or, you know, or if we can just stamp our feet and scream natural rights exist uh, over and over, then maybe we'll be protected when somebody wants to rob us. But like, that's that's superstition. That's not how it functions in the real world. Yeah. They, If somebody doesn't respect your rights, then your rights are equivalent to not existing. Which means, I mean, they're a concept that exists in people's minds. They do not exist by definition. I just wanted to address... It, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You cut out for a second. You can finish. I'm just I'm just doing my normal rights rant. You've probably heard it 50 times. <laughs> no, you're fine. I completely agree with you, though, that it is important to have a, a, a logically consistent 
definition for what rights are. And I do agree that they are mutually reciprocal rights between, I think some of the details a little bit there on the back end, I want to work on myself. Not that I'm outwardly disagreeing because I don't have any immediate rebuttals that would be satisfactory, but I do want to think about that some, but Sherry was talking a little bit about how, uh, um, I, I need to scroll back just a little bit. She was talking about, I'm saying you can be technically right on applying the nap, but ethically wrong. And then in the next comment, she says, for me, the nap is the beginning of morality, not the totality of morality. I think you're hitting, you're using two different sets of words for, but you're, but you're like on the second one is much more on the ballpark. In my opinion, that, um, like as long in theory, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you are in compliance with the non-aggression principle and affording rights to the people as defined in the, our, our, what we've already agreed to as the definition of, of who is deserved or who should be granted rights, then, uh, or reciprocated is what I should have said, then at the end of the day, anything past the non-aggression principle is just an individual's morality, right? So she gave the example of someone being evicted from their apartment and having nowhere to go because they can't pay rent is ethically okay, but, or is, is NAP compliant is what she said, but not ethically okay. But I think it's important to make the distinction that it would be morally, in your opinion, not favorable, not so much ethically. Yeah, these words are messy um, by design, by the design of people throughout history churches, uh, governments, emperors, um, they have taken these, these words and defined them in ways that improve their leverage to control people uh, through their moral compass. Like, in the same way your empathy can be weaponized, so can your wish to be good and to not be evil. That can be weaponized against you as well. And they are weaponized through the use of uh, moral morality and ethics and good and evil and to be called an evil person is a very uh, psychologically weighty accusation to make it somebody that will likely affect them deeply. Um, and priests and religions and governments have throughout history have controlled these words and defined what evil is and isn't and what good is and isn't um, to devastating degree to control people. Uh, and so when we're having these discussions, the first thing we have to realize is that language is a lossy thought compression algorithm that none of these words have objective definitions. What is important in these discussions is only that you understand the concepts I'm trying to communicate to you and that I understand what you're trying to communicate to me. Uh, so when Sherry says, um, where well, was it? Apparently the, I misquoted her. So we'll just, I, I'm sorry about that, Sherry, but uh, she did bring up the Friedman's uh, example of falling off on someone's balcony onto theirs. But we can talk about the flagpole thing that has led a lot of libertarians astray. And that's a hot, hot topic for me right now. It's but yeah. um, j just to finish the rant. Um, it, 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 we have to agree to have the discussion. We have to agree on what morality is and what ethics are. Um you are probably meaning something different than I am. Uh, and because I can't hear your voice right now, I guess I'll just give you mine and tell you what I think and the way I'm trying to elevate these words. So when I call something evil, I define that specifically as a nap violation. Because for the first time in history, if we do that, evil gains an objective 
definition that can't be manipulated by religions and powerful people and governments and popes and politicians. Uh, it is an equation that can be determined uh, absent all of those things, independently of all those things, which sort of like wrestles that weaponized empathy away from the power, the powerful for the first time. I think it's a big deal. That's why I'm really a proponent of doing that. I think that using that method, we can apply an objective definition, objective used in this sense as not subjective, um, definition of what is wrong, what is evil, what you can attack somebody for doing specifically. Those are NAP violations. If something is a NAP violation, you can use force on that person to prevent them from doing the thing or even to achieve restitution if needed. That, I think, should be the hard, black and white, rigid, crystal clear line in the sand for evil. Now, a lot of people then say, well, that's the definition of evil. What's the definition of good? Like a lot of religions will tell you good is um, altruism. Objectivists will tell you good is selfishness. Um, so there's all sorts of different ideas on, on the morality of good, which I think is another half of morality that I don't talk about much. Because I don't see any objectivity in it. I think there are better systems that you could choose to use for what means good to you subjectively, personally. But I don't, I've never found an objective way to define what is good. Because what is, it's a value judgment. It's, it's based on, you can't make a value judgment without first stating your goal. So to call something good you have to have predefined a goal that that thing that you're calling good is in alignment with. Wow, this is like, hopefully I'm making this clear. Well, it's, um, it's like objectivists. They have the virtue of selfishness. You know, I mean, it, would, would other people consider that good? No, but in, inside of, even inside of the non-aggression principle, there's nothing wrong with someone saying that that is good. It's not like it's a logical fallacy for them to claim it is good because it is inherently subjective. So I completely, I completely agree with that part. Um, I think that's why I care and talk a lot more about ethics than morality, because usually the way I sell it to people is that if you are going to make an ethical claim, there needs to be a logical through line from principles or at least fundamental observa uh, assumption based off of observation or, or something to that effect through to the end situation. There's got to be your your X, Y, Z, which, you know, great example. I failed to do that in our conversation about abortion, which is why I'm going to have to rethink some of the things that I said. Because uh, you brought up some good points, but if I was just, I love that, and I and I can't wait to continue that conversation later. Uh, yes. That's like the uh, when somebody says, "Hey, let me think about that," dude, back off and let them think about it, and you, the, your next conversation will be better. That's a big lesson that people should learn. Yeah, anyway, uh, sorry to interrupt you again. No, no, you're fine. I was just going to say that. Yeah, and morality is like the the spice, but um, you know, like you can, like you said. You can define good and evil with whatever you want, and there isn't anything you can really ground it to. Like, I think your your explanation of evil is probably the best one I've heard in a long time. Usually evil is defined as something really esoteric, like a universal negative force on, you know, whatever. But I've heard all sorts of whack definitions for evil in my time. The most popular right now is um, that which results in a net negative to the most people. Yeah, which is just collectivist 
drivel hopeless yeah yeah (laughs) unknowable hopeless garbage yeah yeah and so that's why i typically just steer away from all that but um i do think that this segues perfectly and i did i think i think we're on the same page i just want to make sure about the uh the friedman flagpole problem because this is one that is also been burning in my heart, but for not so much the question itself, but for what the question implies in people. So if you want to go ahead and talk about that some. Oh, the, uh, the short version, uh, and I'm, I'm planning a video of my own on this soon and I'd not, and I, I don't want to burn the content yet, but I'll, I'll give you a, I guess a little bit of it. Um, the scenario is meant to illustrate that, even these self-professed non-aggression principle following principled uh, so-called principle self self-labeling self-touting principled individuals that uh, conform to the non-aggression principle aren't actually as principled as they say they are <laughs> uh, as illustrated by uh, David Friedman's flagpole scenario which goes something like this you are in an apartment building, like a, a multi-level apartment building, and each apartment has a little balcony sticking out from it. This is not going to be verbatim, word, word for word, his words, but this is the gist of it. Uh, and your apartment is on one of the upper floors, and you're out on your balcony. And for whatever reason, you accidentally fall off the balcony. And you are about to basically fall to your death. Uh, except on the way down, you just luckily so happen to grab onto a flagpole that somebody had sticking out from their balcony, um, effectively saving you. You're grabbing onto this flagpole and it saved your life because you didn't fall to your death. Except that the owner of that property walks out onto the balcony and says, you're trespassing, get off my property, let go of my flagpole. What do you do? So this puts you in a situation of A, you refuse to let go of the the flagpole, willfully admit to desiring to violate the non-aggression principle, undermining your entire self-professed ethical framework, which makes uh, David Friedman and Jim Jesus smile gleefully, uh, or, <laughs> or, uh, or you let go and you fall to your death and you die. So you die with your principles or you live without them. Uh, what would you do? Um, I don't want to be a state of nature being, so I'm going to have to let go of the flagpole as much as it hurts. And I hope that I have the fortitude to do so. You know, I think it was in one of the chat groups wherein someone brought up like the, oh, we're just a bunch of chemicals in a brain. You know, you never know what you'll do in the heat of the moment kind of thing. And, you know, maybe to some degree that's true. You know, I don't want to get too far into the free will or the lack of it topic but um i i know the ethically correct answer i have the physical capacity to do the ethically correct thing to do anything else is to knowingly willingly return to the state of nature at which point i'm free game so i i couldn't i couldn't do that i couldn't do that i couldn't i could not rescind all of my rights like that because at that point, I mean, that's everything. That's all. That's like that's all we have that separates us from the cattle. The the reason why um, it's such a successful argument is because 
uh, if you let go, you said you you wanted to maintain your state of being as a you know a non-state of nature being. Well, if you let go, you are erasing your being. So you're it's a distinction without a difference. You're you're either going to be a state of nature being by refusing to let go, or you're going to not be a being. There is sort of like he's erasing the ability to be principled. But to to go from principled to a state of nature being requires a rights violation. That's a proactive effort by you to transfer from one to the other gravity causing me to be unpersoned is not me making a choice to be unethical so that's that's where i, I maybe that clarified a little bit so maybe a, a sneak peek we'll call this a rough draft of the kind of the video i was going to make where i said the flagpole scenario scenario doesn't go off doesn't go far enough um is so you, let's say you don't let go of the flagpole because, you know, that would be dumb to adhere so closely to your principles that it ends your life, even though that's the actual like only thing principles are meant to do is keep you from doing things that will not give you immediate gain like an animal would. But let's ignore that for a moment. All right. And um, so you, you climb onto the balcony after the guy told you to get off his property and, you know, let's say it's him. And his wife and kid behind him uh, in between you and the door to his apartment. Uh, and he says, no, I said, get off my property. What are you going to do? Are you going to push past him? Let's say he pulls a gun. Are you going to shoot him? Are you going to stab him? Are you going to um, knock his wife out of the way? Kick his kid out of the way so you can get to his door as you continue your trespass to his house? What level of violence is justified in the situation to save your life? You started with a trespass, but why stop there? Would you kill a man to save your existence? Okay, well, then you've really just eliminated principle. You haven't found an exception to the non-aggression principle. You've just decided in your own subjective, wishy-washy sort of non-thinking way that you're only going to follow principles when it suits you, which is kind of the same thing as saying you don't have any. This kind of goes. I spoiled my upcoming episode, so. Oh, you're fine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the. This kind of harkens back to something I said. Uh, I don't know, two hours ago at this point, where uh, there's something that I've been realizing more that is important to me, which I think for a lot of people is a distinction, which I think wrongly people think is a distinction without a difference, is that. Uh, there's a, there is a big difference between understanding, knowing, and maybe even accepting principles or ethics as true and then saying, but I'm not, you know, whatever, like, you know, if it comes down to it, you know, I, I got to keep myself alive and then to live by principles, to live by a code of ethics. I have heard so many people say, oh, this is my code of ethics. And then they will immediately like I, there was a person who. In one of my groups, I know who very boldly stated that they were they are a utilitarian through and through in their code of ethics, but they make all sorts of decisions just from a capitalist perspective that is not utilitarian and their money should be going somewhere else. And that that just to me, like if that's going to be your code of ethics, no matter how much I disagree with the fundamentals of utilitarianism. And you're going to broadcast it. Why would you not follow it for personal gain? Again, like what's the difference between you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said an animal does what is immediately necessary for personal gain. 
A state of nature being does that. We have the capacity to be more than that. And it drives me up the wall when people say, yeah, yeah, like nap's pretty cool. I think it's good 99% of the time. But, you know, if his wife's in the way, I'm not dying. You know, that that to me is a that's a that's a red flag. Really? Like if it's if it's me and him. So think about the guy like a guy that, you know, let's say you have something about your property that really makes you want there never to be trespassers, which is your sovereign right to do. And you're minding your own business in your apartment and some asshole grabs onto like some dumbass falls off of his <laughs> balcony <laughs> and, gra- and grabs your flagpole on the way down. And then cl- after you tell him to leave, he doesn't leave and he climbs on your balcony and demands that you let him traipse through your private sovereign property to get to your front door. And you say, no, like it's your right to do it. So uh, what did he say? Daniel said, I would apologize and beg to leave. The guy says, no, leave the way you came and points off the balcony. Like, what are you going to do? Attack him? I, I would are say. Are you going to escalate? Like, that, that's the point that I was making by saying that the flagpole scenario doesn't go far enough. Are you going to escalate force until those people are dead or you have left through the front door? If so, you don't have morals. This is a joke. Yeah. I have heard the, and, you know, I haven't put too much thought into this particular part of it, but cause I think, you know, in the scenario, he's going to say no, no matter what you say, like, I'll give you a billion dollars. He says, no, get right. off my flagpole. But I do think right. there, there could be a case for like seeking restitutions. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I violated on your property. Can I seek restitutions? And then if they say yes, you know, cool, whatever you saw restitutions. Great. But in this scenario, he's going to say no to whatever you offer him. It could be some ridiculous. So yeah, just I just wanted to get that out there that like he said I would apologize and beg to leave. But you're right. If he says no, then looks like I'm going out. You know, <laughs> gotta let, you gotta let go. There's there's no other ethical answer. I have not seen one. These are these are impossible situations that will literally never happen, literally ever. So they're kind of dumb to talk about, but it's a really good test to find moral relativists, uh, and it's a really good test to find people that. Um, Consequentialists uh, are incons- consequentialists, inconsistent, yeah. um, because you know if the rule is you get to make up the ethical framework you abide by on the spot as the situation changes, just based on kind of what you think will work out best for the people involved. That is the same thing as saying that you are a creature that exists in nature and will just kind of navigate through life, uh, you know, leaving the 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 dangerous creatures alone and being the dangerous creature when it suits you. Like you have left the realm of, of ethics. I don't think people really, I mean, I'm going to make a bold collectivist statement, forgive me, but I don't think enough people understand what it means ethically to be a state of nature being like what it means to return to monkey for, for the meme term. Uh, Cause there are some massive implications in society for when you say, okay, I have no longer reciprocated rights. It's, it's a two way street. And I don't think people get that. I think they get, they, they think that it's like, oh, well, you know, I could just seek restitutions and then they can't kill me. Cause then uh, that'll be bad of them to do that. And it's like, they have no obligation to you after you fail to reciprocate rights. If you want to seek restitution, you know, this isn't like, 
the school shooter who gets to, you know, go kill a bunch of kids and then and then, oh, I give up at the very end. It's like, well, yeah, we don't we don't take we don't really do that here. You know, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's just a reality of this part of ethics that if more people understood, I think they would take it a little more seriously. Um, it clashes directly with the people that um, talk about objective morality um, as something that exists independent of man's mind uh, and independent of man's decisions to control their behavior in, in ways that are often um, less optimal for their their own personal gain in life. Um, like, like the natural law people uh, that talk about natural law as if it's an objective thing that exists outside of man. Um, and I try not to talk disparagingly about them because I literally was one for like almost half of my life. So oh, yeah. I totally understand it, was... it It feels super good to sort of appeal to this authority that exists outside of people. And, you know, you can dismiss arguments by saying, oh, no, no, you're you're wrong. Objective natural law exists. Didn't you read the founding fathers? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a constitutionalist. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Natural rights. Duh. You know, what are you? What are you dumb? Yeah, of course. I mean, it wouldn't it be cool if that existed? Wouldn't it be cool if a natural rice, uh, a natural rights security guard jumped out of the ether when you were about to have your rights violated, and um, you know took care of the problem? Unfortunately, that doesn't work. The only way your rights exist are if the people around you uh, choose to respect them. Then, then they become more "quote unquote" tangible, uh, just because the people around you are respecting them. But the, the, the most important thing about it, and I've said this many times, the most important thing about it is having an accurate understanding of what rights are and how they aren't tangible and don't objectively ob exist unless the people around you respect them is that you realize how unprotected you are and can take steps to defend yourself. But like, if you think, worst case, if you think the government protects you, then you're not going to take any steps to protect yourself. Um, second worst case, is if you think rights, if you think natural rights protect you, then you're going to take less steps to protect yourself because you'll think, well, I have natural rights. No one's going to disrespect my rights. Well, that, that doesn't exist either. So it's just you. That's what it is. It's just you on your own in the universe. And it's just the people around you on their own in the universe. And all the people involved can choose to act in all of the ways they want to act at any given point in time. And it's on you to make sure that you're surrounded by people that you can trust and to reciprocate rights with you. And that is how you maintain safety. You protect yourself, you control who you let get close to you and get around you, and you watch the people that uh, are untrustworthy. There's no system of natural law woven into the universe, and there's no you know government or constitution magic paper that will do it for you. It's on you. That, that's what I think is... The, the most important discovery or implication of my conception of rights at this point. I would uh, entirely agree with that. I think the, the, the idea, like I said earlier, to just kind of reestablish that, I, I wanted to read this comment, but uh, I, I think the more I learn about ethics, the more I learn how important they are in the consequences of not following them <laughs> and how grave that can be. And this kind of ties into what Adam said here. He says, seems like a fundamental respect for life is critical to the foundation of reciprocity in these scenarios. I think if you have a fundamental respect for life, it makes it a lot simpler for you to comply with reciprocity. But 
you don't necessarily have to. You can just be reciprocal without that inherent belief. Um, that's that's like the 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 I, I don't want to go into a whole nother rabbit hole, but that's like the people who say like, oh, I, I never consented to the non-aggression principle. And it's like, well, jokes on you. You're in compliance with it until you're not. So. I don't care. If and you, you probably want to be. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't care if you didn't consent to the non-aggression principle, because until you aggress against me, at which point you'll have violated the non-aggression principle, you're in compliance with the non-aggression principle. So it, it's a moot point. You know, that's the, the whole thing. It's it's so non-interventionist into you as long as you don't hurt anybody or aggress against them. Uh, sorry. I had to get that out of my system. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, if it wasn't this uh, simple and boilerplate, then I don't think it could function um, at, uh, on mass scale. Like, it's got to be stupid simple. It's got to be really basic logic. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, and and it's so easy to explain to people. Like, I, I, use, I explain it to my kids every day. Oh, uh, my son screams that my daughter's uh, taking his slinky. And I'm like, hey, Dagny. Is it okay if Atlas takes your stuff? No. Well, how is it okay for you to take his stuff then? Oh, and then she gives a slinky back. Like this is, this is a conversation that you can have with a three-year-old. That's how simple it is. And the only way that a grown ass adults don't understand it is because they've been indoctrinated their entire life to not see the basics. I was just about like to they're say. taught the golden rule yeah. and then they're untaught the golden rule. Yeah. They have an entire indoctrination facility that you go to for at least 12 years at the minimum, unless you're the venerable Patrick Smith who said, screw this and got out early. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So we are approaching the four hour mark. It is well past my bedtime. I'm going to have to split this up into like three episodes now for the audio portion. Uh, stupid file size limits, but it was consensual, right? Yes, it was 100% consensual, <laughs> of course. Um, but this was a great talk. I, I literally, if I, if I didn't, if I didn't have to get up early in the morning, I could, I could do this all night. I, I love this. Um, and it's, you know, we got into the meat a little bit later than I expected to, but I'm glad we continued our conversation. I have more to think about. I have learned a lot and gained some insight and, uh, come away from this conversation a better person think about our topics and if you find exceptions or disagreements uh you are honor bound to tell me all right that's all i have to say if, if you want to be my friend you have to tell me when you think i'm wrong okay i 100 percent will let you know if i think you're wrong i won't even think twice well i will think twice about it to make sure i'm not dumb but then i'll say it um <laughs> yeah and uh, say hey bitch i think you're wrong and then tell me how Fantastic. Fantastic. hundred percent can do that. Well, uh, so we do have an announcement really quick about you, uh, that I think some people may not know already. And that is that you are going to be hosting some debates for the Anarchapoco live stream event. You want to talk about that a little bit before we wrap up? Yeah, this is true. This is true. So uh, we, uh, we, and I'm not talking about Royal We, I'm actually talking about Kaysen and I. Uh, Kaysen's my producer. We have a uh, rule about, um, like we talked about this earlier, we don't have um, content that provides medical advice, just in any form. Like, um, unless it's something obvious, like talking about masks, or something that we uh, are intimately knowledgeable on. Uh, so like, I, I don't interview guests that are 
telling you about cures for cancer uh and, and on either side you know like thc or chemo like i just don't do that unless it's a debate and then i have them on together and so that um pre uh, precluded us from being involved in a large part of the stuff that happens at Anarchapoco, because a lot of the speakers there talk about all sorts of topics that uh, many of which include medical advice which like i said it's just we have a rule against that so um i thought that i was going to be totally out of the loop and wasn't going to get to help with anarchapoco much but um uh, it turns out i was wrong they were actually very accommodating and appreciative of uh, you know me standing by my principles on my standards for what i'll be involved in which was really refreshing to see i i love that like that's that's freedom guys that's what anarchy is oh you have standards and rules that i may not agree with that's fine man you do you i want you to be happy this is what they did and so um not only are we able to be involved but i'm pretty much going to be involved in my favorite ways to be involved which is going to be moderating debates uh so during the day uh, around lunchtime, I think we might be doing an interview each day for the four days of Anarchapoco. But in the evenings, each of the four days, hopefully, uh, if I get all the people wired in in time, we're going to have one debate each day. Each day is going to have its own theme. Uh, like one of the one of the days is uh, health and wellness, and so we're going to have a vaccine debate. And another day is going to be cryptocurrency and agorism and activism. I think no cryptocurrency and agorism. And we're going to have a Bitcoin debate. Um, I can't tell you who yet because it's not confirmed, but they're two of the largest names in cryptocurrency if it happens. Um, and they're both anarcho-capitalists, which will make it even better because it's going to be two principled big names in Bitcoin um, that have a, a fundamental disagreement, which is, uh, I mean, that's that's what I live for is debates. So. Um, then there's two more debates that um, have not been announced yet. So yeah, that's cool. I'll be moderating those in the evenings each day. I'm interested on uh, the the cryptocurrency one, especially especially with the focus on agorism. I've become a little uh, perhaps jaded on the idea of agorism as of late, as a as a concept for undermining the government. You know, as as a movement. Now I want to talk about agorism, and you have to go. I mean, damn, no, we, we can, can do this later. We can, Okay, yeah. Well, we have something to talk about next time, right? <laughs> or the next time we yep. chat. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, so make sure if you guys are still here, uh, which actually quite a few of you guys are, I'm, I'm very happy that you guys stuck around this long. It was a great, great conversation. Make sure right now, whatever you're doing, whatever device that you're on, I don't care if you have to close me to do this, go to Disenthrall, subscribe, follow, go to Intercast, subscribe, like, hit the bell icon, all that jazz, go to disenthrall.me forward slash platforms and go to all of those. Literally every single click on every link, go to all of them. That way, if anything is to happen, you have every distribution method possible to stay in the loop with Patrick's content, which is something great that he does make that accessible to everybody. Uh, we got to get your subscriber count up too. Like yeah. if y'all are watching and you're not subscribed, hit, hit the dumbass button. Come on now. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, any final words before I do the wrap up for the show? No, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Sweet. Well, if you guys enjoyed the show, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell button, all that stuff. If you disagreed with anything that I said, which I know at least a couple of you did, leave it down in the comments. I'll give it some time. Think about it and uh, give you a response if, if your comment is, is worthy. Um, 
make sure if you aren't yet and you have missed any of the prior shows to check us out on the uh, podcasting format on all of your favorite distributors. That includes Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, etc. Yada, yada. You can find it wherever you want it. Um, and that's it. So until oh, I have one more announcement. We are officially going to be weekly on Sundays. I found a time block that works well for me with my schedule. Uh, and so we're going to go back to weekly shows. But instead of Saturdays, we're doing Sundays now. Uh, so uh, it should be fun. What's your what's your format going to be? Are you going to do mostly guest interviews or are you going to do your own content or what are you going to do? Uh, I, I want to split it about 50-50. I want to do 50% me, 50% uh, kind of like sort of like the talking head stuff I was doing when I was getting back into the, the Liberty After Dark thing. And then, um, but I, I would love to continue to interview people. I feel like this is where I personally grow the most. So maybe it's a little, uh, you know, maybe it's a little selfish of me to want to do so many interviews, but I also understand, like you said, there's a, there's an economy to it. So it's not always possible for me to get interviews for people, but I love doing this. So that's yeah. why I love interviewing people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like if I can't get people to contact me and challenge me, challenge my ideas, uh, on my social medias, then uh, I can corner them in interviews and get them to challenge me. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> On the microphone. Uh, yep. Awesome. I'm yeah. Great. It was great having you on. I, I loved every second of it. This is ah, one, one of my, my last interview was one of my favorites and I felt like I did a sucky job on that one, but this one is now one of my favorites as well too. Great conversations. Uh, so I am honored. Thank you. <laughs> well, everybody take it easy and I will see you next Sunday.